2: Hey everybody and welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show I'm so happy to have you with us today After the first break I am going to be bringing on a legend None other than John Robbins When I tour the country and people tell me how they went vegan I always know whether it was 2010 to now 2000 to 2010 or 1990 to 2000 Because they'll tell me what book they read They'll say that they either read or saw the film Forks Over Knives or that they read um, Skinny Bitch or that they read Diet for a New America, John Robbins' first book, a great classic in the vegan world, and I'm so excited that he's going to be joining us after the break. But I'm also excited that right now to kick things off, we're going to be speaking with Brandon and Megan Shackley. They are the brains and the energy behind a very cool conference that's coming up, and this is called Austin Health Hoopla. Now, I wanted to have them on for several reasons, one being, gosh, maybe you want to get down there to Austin. It's supposed to be the vegan craziest town in this country, and it just might be Austin, Texas. I've been there before. They have a cave full of bats. Pretty amazing to see them all take off at night at the very same time. And there's so much going on in Austin. But if you happen to be there the weekend of April 23rd, one of the many things going on will be Austin Health Hoopla. Now, this is not a veg fest. This is different. This is a two day conference focused on the health aspects of um, a plant based diet. And it's going to have some of the coolest people in a circumstance where you actually get to know them and talk to them. Great idea, don't you think, for maybe a couple of people who've done meeting planning and event organizing all their lives? Guess what? They've never done that. That's the other reason I wanted to have them on, because maybe you're thinking about having some kind of a festival or a conference in your neck of the woods. Well, Let's learn if we can do it. Welcome, Brandon and Megan Shackley.
3: Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having us on.
2: Hi, Victoria. Hey, it's wonderful to have you. Wonderful, wonderful. So tell us first, just because we're so excited about who we're going to get to hear at Austin Health Hoopla April, um, is it 22nd and 23rd or 23rd and 24th?
4: 23rd and
2: 24th. 23rd and 24th. Who's going to be there?
4: Well, the, all the who's who's in the plant-based world. Um, we're so happy to have yourself, Victoria. Um, we're also having Rich Roll, um, uh, Karen Ramsey, Jay Morris Hicks. Um,
3: Dr. Dr. Garth Davis, Dr. Joel Kahn, Julie Simon, and Brenda Davis.
2: Wow. Well, you've picked my favorite people. Every one of those people has been on our show, and they're just fantastic. And one of the things I love about your lineup is you've really picked people from different aspects of the plant-based world. I mean, you have a couple of medical doctors, a cardiologist, a a bariatric surgeon. You've got Karen Ramsey, who's a raw fooder. You have Jay Morris-Hicks, who's very much plant-based and coming from the environmental side very much. So you've really got an amazing weekend plan. What made you want to do this?
4: Originally, you know, I'm a massage therapist, so I find myself all day, you know, talking to people about how they can start feeling better. And um, I think that it kind of turned out to be my favorite part of the day. You know, was just having these delightful conversations, and you know, we'd go to the supermarket and you just start talking to people. And it's so inspiring when when people get inspired about what you're saying with what you've heard. You know, like maybe on your podcast or on a documentary, and you kind of realize that you just want to take it to the next level and just share it, you know, with more people, you know, with everybody in one room, you know.
3: Yeah, she kept on She kept on telling me over and over over the past couple of years, you know, gosh, I want to get this message out to more people at one time. How You know, how can I do that? You know, I, I want to try to do an event. She kept on talking about it and talking about it. And finally, one night, you know, we were getting ready for bed, and I said, why don't you just – do it just go ahead and try it and i
4: think the next day for, i emailed you the next morning if you oh my goodness. So,
2: <laughs> so where does one start if somebody wanted to do this let's say maybe in a place not as veg friendly as austin texas give us the first couple of steps
4: well i think i mean i think for me you know it had been years in the making for me i you know when we first started, you know, this plant-based, you know, way of living, we did it together, which was amazing. But we just immersed ourselves in documentaries, and books, and podcasts. You're being my favorite, and um, you just start realizing that we're all in the same boat. And you know, what would what would we want to go to a conference and hear? I think I think that's kind of where it started. Was what would what would we want to see, and who would we want to hear from?
2: Well, you put together an amazing lineup. I think our listeners would also be interested in how you went vegan. It was very quick.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Megan had been a vegetarian since she was gosh, like 12. And when we first met 8 years ago, you know, I I was eating what I thought was, you know, a pretty healthy diet. I wasn't I wasn't vegan or vegetarian, but I thought it was pretty healthy. You know, and in fact, Megan we used to joke, we joke now, but she used to say, you know, oh, those vegans, they're, they're crazy. I could never go vegan, you know, and I think that was the cheese addiction talking a little bit, maybe. Um, (laughs) But, you know, over time, we started reading books about it and watching documentaries on the health and environmental benefits of a a vegan diet. And we just started thinking, you know, there's, there's something to this. And one day, you know, she came to me and said, I want to do it. I want to go vegan. And, and I said, "All right, I'll I'll do it too." And that was that was about four years ago, and and we've never really looked back. We yeah. really love it.
4: I mean, he yeah, he said, "You know, immediately, me too." So it, it was amazing how it was a bunch of baby steps. You know, you know, reading more and watching more, and then something something resonates with you, and you're just there. You're ready. Let's go. Let's do it together.
2: Love it. Now, how did you come up with the title? I think it's so easy to just say the so-and-so bench fest or Vegetarian Food Festival, but Austin Health Hoopla, where did that come from?
3: Well, I think part of it stemmed from the fact that we've been to a few health conferences and things like that, and some of them tend to be a little dodgy and a little quite frankly boring
4: well like you have a lot of education that's what they're focused on
3: right there's a lot of good information in there but sometimes it's coming at you so hard and heavy that you know you just don't know how to how to parse through any of it and I think in in naming our our convention our conference a
4: great word we we wanted
3: to we wanted to evoke a feeling of you know it's it's exciting and, and and inviting at the same time and and just from a design standpoint, I, I liked the, <laughs> the alliteration of the health hoopla. You know, and, yeah, I, l- and I like the
2: alliteration, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And, um, well,
2: if you, if you ever want to uh, franchise or syndicate, I have wanted to do something here in my neighborhood of Harlem for a long time. But I have no idea how to put something on. So um, if you want to expand out of Austin, I'm actually serious about this. <laughs> Think about Harlem Health Hoopla. We've got the odds oh, okay. of alliteration are with us. So just uh, file that away. We'll talk uh, after April. Now, there's something interesting here in what you wrote to me that I'd love for you to explain to the listeners. You say, we are not trying to make it a vegan fest, but all the speakers are vegan. We are hoping it comes <laughs> across as the optimal diet to be the best version of ourselves. Talk about that.
3: Well, I think with us, you know, we, we want to be as inviting as possible, and we want to have as many different types of people involved in the conference, and I think um, by that way, we say, you know, maybe, you know, we show that a plant-first diet is an optimal way to structure nutrition, you know, and it does and that way it sort of seems like you're not necessarily depriving yourself of anything, you know, and in fact, like a plant or a plant-based or vegan diet, you know, opens yourself up to all sorts of different food options that you probably hadn't even considered before.
4: And, you know, it doesn't, we don't want to scare anybody off. I think, you know, letting people get their guard down, just like, we're just here to make, you know, us healthier and optimal. And, uh, by the way, it just happens to be, you know, And but they're going to, all the speakers are going to show you why and, tell, you know, tell you the reasons. So it's it's kind of interesting how we don't want to hit people over the head with it, but you know kind of do it in a really positive positive way
3: I think the idea is to meet to meet people where they are in their journey, yeah and work from there rather than you know some people might just want to know how to get more fruits and veggies you know into the bulk of their diet, you know something like that,
2: yeah mhm. No, I think that's really excellent. It's almost like when you have people over for dinner and everything is just really great, and then nobody wants to ask about where the meat was because they love the food. So when you have a fabulous conference with great speakers, that's how that's going to be, too. So give us a blow-by-blow. Tell us about what's going to be happening that weekend of the 23rd, 24th of April and how, um, how people can come.
3: Well, gosh, I mean, you can, of course, go to www.atxhealthcupola.com to find out more information about, you know, yourself and the rest okay. of our great mm-hmm. speakers. And, you know, it's going to be four talks each day,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, ranging from 45 minutes to a little over an hour apiece. There's going to be a break
4: and a good question-and-answer period so we can really get into the nitty-gritty of how the heck do we do all these, you know, ideas that you just threw out at us.
3: Right. We want We want to inspire people to really dig in and become more conscientious about their food choices, you know. And, you know, we want to arm them with the tools that they need to make educated decisions about their food so that, you know, when they're in the grocery store, they're able to kind of cut through that morass of information that's kind of out there, you know, whether it's on TV or on the internet. So that when they're, you know, when they're trying to decide between two different kinds of food items, you know, they have some fundamentals to fall back on to know, okay, well, I need to get this instead of this.
4: And everyone is so different. Like you said, everybody's coming at it from so many different angles. I think, It'll be really invigorating. I think the whole weekend will just fly by. And by the end of it, people are going to be so inspired. I think they just, they won't have any other choice. They won't be able they won't be able to stand it. They just, you know, won't be able to wait to do it.
2: Oh, well, I love the abundance of it. The idea that you're allowing two days. It's your first festival, but you're still, you're allowing two days, four talks a day, plenty of time for Q&A. This is really brilliant. It it doesn't sound like it's your first time. you probably got some extra inspiration going on. And then you're going to have it in a lovely venue, so people will be comfortable and cool and um, ready to listen. Yeah. Yeah,
3: it's going to be at the the Bob Bullock's uh, Texas State History Museum. It's right across the street from the University of Texas campus. It's a a really beautiful venue. Downtown, there's lots of places to walk to you know, if you need a break or, you know, I think it's going to be great. Mm
2: -hmm. Wow. Sounds like one could walk to the bats. Yes. exactly. We should all go after. (laughs) That would really be fun. Uh, Yeah. A a whole bunch of uh, veg people experiencing the wonder of another creature. So tell us who you were hoping to reach. I said, okay, all these veg people are going to go appreciate Austin's amazing bats, but you're not really looking for a bunch of veg people, are you?
4: <laughs> right. I mean, I think,
2: I I imagine
4: that it'll be a lot of, you know, maybe partly veg people bring in their partner or their, you know, friend or their parents. Um, I mean, I think we're kind of all in the same boat. You know, we all have an issue maybe that we're trying to combat. You know, some people, they have a chronic issue. Some people, you know, their weight or their skin or their digestive issue and They've been, they, maybe they're curious. I think, you know, I think so many people are just, you know, eager to try something new and to learn something that they haven't discovered yet. Um, so I think kind of just, you know, every, I mean, I think most people are just really curious about, you know, I've been, been reading this in magazines. I've been hearing about it all over. I really want to get into it. Why is this so amazing?
2: Well, it is pretty darned amazing and the lineup that you have is going to make it more so. And I think it's true. I mean, it's wonderful to reach new people. That's really what we're all about. But I think that, that we all need some support and we all need some extra information. And to be able to have access to some of these incredible professionals, I know there are more and more vegan physicians all the time, but they are still a very rare commodity. And most people in most places can't just, you know, go to the proverbial yellow pages and, and find a, a veg doc, as they say. And you're going to have several of them. And, of course, Brenda Davis, wonderful dietitian, as well. So people can come and ask their questions and Make quite the day of it. So the website is ATX Health Hoopla, Austin, Texas. I didn't know ATX until today. Now I know it. ATX Health Hoopla. They're Austin Health Hoopla on Facebook. ATX Health Hoopla on Twitter. And I will put all of the links on the show notes. If you go to MainStreetVegan.net, click on podcast. You'll get a nice little drop down there. that will say show notes, and you can get all of those links and check them out. Maybe take a trip to Austin. You know you've been wanting to go. I know I have. Happy (laughs) I'm going to be getting down there. Megan, Brandon, last words? We have a coupon for just
4: your listeners. Um, if they Ooh. type in Main Street Vegan in the coupon code, they get a hundred dollars off. So we are so excited to share that.
2: Oh, that's wonderful! How much do they get off? It cut out a little. Uh, they
4: get a, uh, oh, sorry, they get a hundred dollars off
2: the. Whoa! The so well, I'll be excited. Listeners to this show get all the perks. Okay, Main Street Vegan—that's your code. Save lots of money. Come to Austin. Come to the Health Hoopla. And I look forward to meeting you guys in April. May it be a rousing success. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for being with us today and being with us through this break coming up. And we'll be back with the inimitable Mr. John Robbins. Mentioned the show notes over there at mainstreetvegan.net. Also, want to remind you that a blog appears there every week. And this week, I happen to have written it myself, and it's called Reflections of a Coffee House Writer. So, if you're somebody who writes or is fascinated by the writing life, you might be interested in hearing about somebody who doesn't write all alone in a garret. But rather in a Starbucks or some such, because I get energy from all those people. So that's over at MainStreetVegan.net. Just click on blog and have some fun with that one and all the past ones. Many are written by the wonderful vegan lifestyle coaches and educators who have graduated from Main Street Vegan Academy. It is now, oh gosh, my pleasure. I often say it's my pleasure to introduce someone. And sometimes it's so much my pleasure, I want to say, this is my pleasure as if I were going to splurge and have an incredible hot fudge vegan Sunday. It's that kind of pleasure, because this is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I'm going to give you a bit of an official introduction for John Robbins, and then I'm going to tell you a little story so you can know how I'd introduce him if we were just hanging out in somebody's living room. Widely considered one of the world's leading experts on the dietary link between the environment and health, John Robbins is the author of the million-copy bestseller, Diet for New America. He has written numerous other books. We'll be talking about some of them. He's received the Rachel Carson Award and the Albert Schweitzer Humanitarian Award, founder of EarthSave. Amazing, incredible Earth-changing gentleman, John Robbins. Now I'm going to tell you my John Robbins story. We're going to go back over 30 years of Milwaukee. Everybody's there speaking for something. We're in hotel rooms. And I am there with my little girl. I'm a single mom, and I have this adorable little child who cannot stand shoes or socks. I actually think that in her past life, she was a Chinese woman who had bound feet. I really do believe this, because she really had this this thing about um, shoes and socks. And it just really drove me to distraction, I must admit. Well, in walks John Robbins. We're going to walk over to the venue together where everybody's speaking. And I have to tell you that even at that time, I've been in, in this world for a while speaking and writing, but, oh, my gosh, John Robbins had just set the world on fire. He was a celebrity. And I was a little bit intimidated, and he walked in. My child is having a tantrum. He sat down on the floor, and he looked her in the eye. He said, what's going on? And she said, sucks! And he said, oh, I guess you don't like them, do you? And then they had this discussion. I had never been able to have a discussion with my kid about socks and it was kind of amazing how she put on socks, she put on shoes and we went over to the venue. He's that kind of guy and I'm so happy to be introducing him to you, Logan's, many years later. John Robbins, welcome to the show.
5: Well, thank you, Victoria. I'm glad to be here with you (laughs) and with your listeners.
2: Oh, gosh, we do go back. So, Interestingly enough, I think it always seems when you're a certain age, you kind of figure everybody has the same sort of length of memory as you. But there are a lot of people who are in this movement and eating this food and doing amazing things who weren't even around that day in Milwaukee. So I would love if you would be willing to share some of your backstory. How did your life change? How did you come to write Diet for a New America?
5: Okay, well... Um I was born into an ice cream family. My my father and my uncle owned, founded, owned, and ran an ice cream company that had become very successful. Um, In fact, it had become the world's largest ice cream company, Baskin-Robbins, 31 Flavors. And as my dad's only son, I was groomed by him to succeed him. That was his plan. That was his agenda for my life. And I grew up loving it i mean i I worked in all the different facets of the business and i I, I ate unlimited amounts of ice cream and as a kid, who can complain about that and um, you know it was kind of a, a fairy tale in a way come true, but um, the um, as I started to be become of age and my own values began to emerge, I started to ask questions about life and the realities around me. I I remember um, one day going with my dad to a dairy in uh, Central California where Baskin-Robbins got a lot of its dairy products. And at that time, um, in all the stores, all the retail stores, um, there had been large murals, photographs, uh, um, sepia-toned pictures of Holstein and Guernsey um, and Jersey dairy cows, beautiful, beautiful cows, grazing in beautiful Wisconsin pasture land. And that was the image of where the milk came from that made the ice cream that was sold in the stores in all of its 31 flavors that the company wanted people to um, enjoy. And and I had seen those photographs you know, every, pretty much every day of my life, and I, I believed them. I took them at face value. But that day, I went with my dad to the actual dairy where we got our actual dairy, you know, milk products, and it was a feedlot. And what I saw was a very large number of dairy cows packed into a very small space, uh, standing in mud and their own excrement. Um, And when I went up towards one of them, at this time I was about 12, so I'm a little boy, and I go up towards the cow with only goodwill in my heart. I want to kind of say hello, maybe pet it, pet her. And as as I approach her, she gets frightened, and she she uh, is very anxious and demonstrates a, a great a great deal, even terror, at my approach. And I'm thinking, what has happened to this cow that she's afraid of a 12 year old boy who is thinking nothing but positive thoughts towards her? Um, and I knew that it had to be something pretty intense that had happened to her. And as I looked around the dairy, and it, bo- it was absolutely nothing like the photographs that were on display in the stores. And that was a moment of awakening to me that there was a discrepancy, a dramatic discrepancy, between the way the company wanted to think, wanted the public to think the animals were treated, the dairy cows, and the reality of how they were in fact treated. And then a few years later, my uncle, Burt Baskin, my dad's partner and brother-in-law, died of a heart attack. And he was only 54 years old. He was a very big man. He ate a lot of ice cream. And he died at 54. And I asked my dad, do you think there could be a connection between the amount of ice cream that that my uncle, Burt Baskin, would eat and his fatal heart attack? And my father said, no, 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 no. His ticker just got tired and stopped working. And those were his words. But he looked at me, and the energy that he was conveying uh, to me through the way he looked at me said something more than that. It said, don't you ever ask that question again. And, you know, John Bradshaw, the the eminent psychologist, has spoken about families having no-talk rules, uh, topics that cannot be discussed. They're taboos in a a given family. in my family, that there might be a connection between heart disease and ice cream was taboo. You couldn't talk about it. And I could understand why my father would not be willing to even consider the possibility that there might be a connection, and that was because by that time he had sold and he had manufactured more ice cream than any human being who had ever lived on this planet, and he did not want to think that the family product was undermining anybody's health. But I saw my uncle, my uncle die. And although my father, and I understood why, couldn't think about it, didn't want to talk about it, was not willing to discuss it, I felt I needed to find out and research it and explore it. And I started to on my own. And the more I learned, I, I began to think very strongly that while a single ice cream is not going to hurt anybody, the more ice cream you eat, the more likely you are to have a heart attack, like killed my uncle Bert Baskin, and the more likely you are to develop uh, diabetes, which my father, by the way, developed very severely. Um, and I'm not pointing the finger at Baskin Robbins per se. Um, it's ice cream in general. Ben and Jerry's, Ben Cohen, the founder of Ben and Jerry's, lovely man, peace activist, um, be- beautiful, beautiful person. But in his late 40s, he, he needed to have a quintuple bypass. Um, he was a big man who ate a lot of ice cream. Um, the, I didn't want to make my living selling a product that might be undermining people's health, it might be causing people to have heart disease, that might cause people to shorten their lives, and lessen the quality of their lives, to become obese and develop diabetes. Um, we know now, I've learned since, uh, that there are direct correlations between dairy consumption and prostate cancer and breast cancer as well. But I did not know that then. But I certainly knew enough to know I didn't want to make my living. It wouldn't be ethical for me to to um, even be live off of the, the the proceeds from from ice cream sales. So I dad, told my dad that I wasn't going to uh, follow his in his footsteps as he had expected, and I also told him that to be in integrity with my choice, and frankly, to be in integrity with him. I needed to not have any access or dependence whatsoever on his fortune. So I walked away from the company on, 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 the, rot, on the, the road he had paved for me, uh, and, and I walked away from all, all his money as well. And I, I followed my own rocky road.
2: My goodness. <laughs> you know, I've heard your story many, many times, and every time is like the first. That is so powerful. So, you were out there on your own road being a kind of hippie, one would say, I think. Tell me if you disagree with that term. And then Well, I, got... I,
5: well I was a hippie in the sense that I was a back to the lander. My wife and I built a log cabin, a very small one room log cabin, and lived there for 10 years, growing uh, almost everything we ate. Now, 95% of our food, our, our son was born into my there, home birth. So in that sense, we were definitely back to the landers, but we weren't into drugs. Um, we did yoga a lot. We did a lot of meditation. So insofar as hippies are, are um, associated to drugs, that, that wasn't us. But we were certainly trying to weave ourselves back into the natural world and, and get our roots down deep into the natural world and f- find out some realities about life. And, and we became vegans, and this is in the very late 60s, and... This was before the word vegan was much much in operation in the United States, and and in fact we were doing yoga before there were very many yoga centers or yoga teachers um, in the United States. It hadn't, of course, now they're on every block, but but not then. No. And there were there were very few health food stores then, and they mainly sold um, um, uh, meat products made from isolated soy. Uh, uh, protein and, you know, just kind of fake meats and uh, vitamins and um, packaged goods. And the whole idea of a whole foods market or a, a large natural food store or of organic agriculture being a movement, this was all to, yet in the future. Um, but we kind of got in on the ground floor because we were involved in all of these things right from the beginning. And when I wrote Dive for New America, um, which I wrote in the mid-'80s, uh, it really was to suggest to people we ha- we don't have to do this. What the standard American diet is, we don't have to take the path that the standard American diet is leading us on. We really don't. There are there are other options, and they're brighter ones. They're healthier ones. We will be more vibrant people. We will be healthier. We will have less disease. We will have more vitality. We will be stronger people, and can live our love and our effect and our actions more effectively. And also, the same food choices that lead us to greater health very, very often are the same ones, and this is the magic of it, that spare the animals the suffering of factory farms and that are so much more earth-friendly. They are much, so much more benign in terms of their environmental impact. And it is rare in life that you have things line up quite so fully that what's good for you is also good for others. It's good for the world. It's good for the planet. It's good for the animals. It reduces air pollution. It reduces water pollution. It reduces soil erosion. As we know now, it reduces greatly climate change, gas emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so it's really good for the environment. And it obviously spares animals the deaths and the lives that they're forced to live, which may be even worse. In factory farms today, mass production of industrial meat really has become something that the industry can only continue by hiding it from people. Because Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to be an animal rights activist. You don't have to be a vegan. You don't have to be a particularly compassionate human being. If you see how severe it's become, if you see how badly the animals are treated, to be appalled. And so they, they have laws against people seeing. They yeah. have ag-gag laws against people bringing video cameras in or um, photographing what's going on so people can see how their, their meats and animal products and eggs are in fact being produced. Um, I
6: think
5: yeah.
2: well, one of the most powerful things about Diet for a New America was the way you structured it. And you started with animals, and then you did health, and then you did the environment, all masterfully. But when you talked about the animals, you didn't jump right into this is how they're treated, this is how they're killed. You told animal stories. You talked yeah. about how amazing they are as individuals. So you hooked the reader before he could say, I don't care, because you made us care.
5: Well, I think people do care, but we've we kind of grown a skin or a, a, a defensiveness between us and our caring about animals. And in that skin or defensiveness, that guardedness, is made up of ideas that we, we, we uh, collectively agree on, which aren't true, such as that animals are just objects. They're just so they don't feel pain. There's no reason to, to feel bad about treating them poorly. There's no reason to treat them better because they just don't feel anything. My pencils don't feel anything. But here's the thing. we, In our culture, as a rule, we treat our dogs and our cats pretty well. We, we buy their food. We, we, we pay their vet bills. We give them names. We often sleep with them in our beds. We consider them parts of our family. We, we love them. When they, when they die, we may cry very um, because we've lost something important to our hearts, and we, we, there's a love there, and it's very real. We we lavish sometimes our affection on our pets, and they, in turn, will, will, will love us back in extraordinary ways. They're very meaningful to our lives and to our hearts. But we call those animals pets, and then we call other animals dinner, And by virtue of making that semantic distinction, we feel entitled to treat the second class of animals in any manner, with any degree of cruelty, so long as it lowers the price per pound. And to me, that's a schizoid relationship to animals because all of the animals, whether we call them companion animals and and consider them um, part of our families, or whether we call them livestock or dinner and consider them to be uh, exempt from our, our, our compassion, all those animals draw breath from the same source as we do. All of those animals have nervous systems that feel pain and suffering. All of those animals are capable of relationships with each other and often with us if we treat them with some degree of respect. Well, and amen. so and to me it's been a, a, a fact that we, we have to heal this schizoid relationship to animals. We have to re- re- regain our connection to all, the whole Earth community, really all of the living beings, all of the creatures of this planet, um, and learn to live, again, with respect and reverence for, for all of life. And if we do that, we won't be able to indulge in activities that, that, that render species extinct, that destroy their habitat, and which, in effect, then destroy our own habitats destroy the life support systems and make life itself possible on this earth we'll then be part of the earth community rather than standing apart from it dominating it exploiting it and destroying it and so to me to regain our living connection our, our soulful relationship to life um, it starts with our connection to the other creatures Are a little different from us. They maybe have four legs instead of two. They may have feathers and fly. They may be, you know, they're different from us. But we also need to be able to relate with reverence and respect to people who are different from us. Maybe they have different colored skin. Maybe they come from a different culture. Maybe they have different uh, socio-economic background than us. Maybe there's different. They're part of a different economic class than we are. Um, But whatever the differences between us, they are not as great as, as what we have in common. And we need to remember that and and, 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 and ground in what we have in common, which is our capacity to, to love each other, mm. our capacity to, to love life, and what, unless we do that, honestly, Victoria, this, uh, the fate of the earth, the, the fate of life, and the fate the fate of our own species is is not not very, looking very good.
2: Well, let's talk about that for a moment. You're the first. Truly environmentalist vegan I ever met And to this day I only know a few I think we all want to help the environment But it kind of seems to come up third People say, I do this for the animals and my health Or I do this for my health and the animals And the environment is kind of, yeah, that's nice too Why is it so hard to relate to a planet?
5: Well, a lot of us don't have a lot of contact With with the natural world anymore We live in cities we're surrounded. If we look around our homes, by man-made objects, um, artifacts uh, of culture, more than than, than natural expressions. Um, we have a lot of plastics in our lives, and it's by, by interacting with those plastics, it's it's a step removed from the natural world. For one, for one, but it, but for another, those plastics are made out of chemicals that we're learning our endocrine disruptors, um, our our neurotoxins, um, and cumulatively have a profound impact on our cognition and our nervous systems. And I think that also removes us. When we live in a polluted world, our minds become polluted. Our brains become polluted. Our nervous systems become polluted. And we become displaced from who we really are, from our connection to the living earth. And our need for it, we become kind of alienated from our own needs. Our needs for fresh air, our needs for clean water, our needs to live in a healthy community, our needs for honest, authentic, caring communication with those we interact with, uh, our 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 needs for laughter and 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 music, our needs for to, to, for beauty and we kind of get numb, and we shut down, and we get resigned, and then we live in our little air-conditioned nightmares, and we don't any longer understand the power of being part of the living earth and, and how much we need it. So I think we have shut down, and we have lost our strength, and we've lost the power of our passion to live connected, to each other and to the earth and to the other other beings of the earth. And and it saddens me to see that because I think we become less than we are. We become less liberated. We become less strong. We become less uh, capable of what the world, state of the world really asks of us now.
2: Hmm. You made that more personal than I have ever heard anyone speak about the environment. So I, I thank you for that um, personally, and I'm sure for the listeners. You've written a whole lot of books, and one of my favorites, probably because I'm old enough to have known you for over 30 years, is Healthy at 100, uh, how you can, at any age, dramatically increase your lifespan and your health span. So what does life look like? What does health look like from the age that you are now? And tell us what we can get out of reading Healthy at 100.
5: Well, I'm 68, and um, I can still do pretty much anything I want. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of them in my age. Um, some of them are dying. And others have their quality of life greatly reduced by medical problems that are, are serious, that they really do take a big bite out of the quality of their lives. And, and, and as a culture... We're seeing that. We see a lot of um, older people, have, they have dementia, they, have, they take so many medications, they are, they are um, so restricted in what they can do and what they even can remember that it makes us think, God, do I even want to get old? If, if aging is that, do I, is that something to look forward to? Um, very few of us picture ourselves in our elder years singing and dancing and climbing mountains. Maybe we aren't running marathons anymore, or like, or performing triathlons, but we are hiking and and taking long walks, and we're singing and we are dancing in the way in a new way, and we are enjoying our bodies and our sensuality and perhaps even our sexuality. Um, this is something that is very possible for people who live, whose lifestyles during the course of their lives are supportive of their health, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, every way. Then what happens is you age very differently and you age in beauty and you age in, 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 consciousness. Um, you become wiser and you, you have something to offer people of every age. You know, you told that little story of, um, when we first met and I remember that actually, I remember, <laughs> I remember little Rachel and, and how upset she was. And she was a little girl. I don't know how old she was, but um, do you?
2: I think she may have been five,
5: five. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so my first instinct was to get down the floor with her because otherwise you are to so tall to a five year old. And of course I'm six one. So that's even worse. And, So I was very happy to get down to where she was and to talk to her on a horizontal level and and connect with her. I understood she was really upset. I know what it's like to be upset. And I think that the ability to connect across generations, really connect, not patronizingly, not, oh, you telling the young people what they should do, how they should think. That's not wisdom, and that's not the wisdom of the, of the elders. That's not the right role of the elder. The right role of the elder is to be a guide and, uh, and to love the younger people and understand them because we've been through what they're going through in a different way. Obviously, the culture is different. The times are different. They are faced with some problems we never had. But we know what it's like to face problems, serious problems. We know what it's like to lose people we love. That's As you get older, that's, all, that's been part of your life. And so there's empathy possible for younger, that we can have for younger people. And I think that's a key part of healthy aging, is being able to connect across generations. And I it saddens me to see so many other people segregated into old people's homes or retirement communities where they only interact with people of their same age. And I realize that some older people want that because they're so shut down. They, they don't feel capable any longer of enjoying the challenge and the, the, the fascination and the intrigue of interacting with younger people. But um, I, I think it's wonderful. And that's one of the keys, I think, eating healthfully, exercising regularly, and having a lot of wonderful connections with people, mm. you know, I, I think the more – and all kinds of people, not just those who are your own age or your own race or your own uh, economic class, but all kinds of people, people who think differently, who have different backgrounds, who have different cultures. It can be so enriching to, to listen to their music and, and, and interact with their ideas and, 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 and connect with them emotionally and spiritually, empathize with them and grow. I think that's how we become – uh, deeper human beings, really.
2: You live in a three generational extended family. I, I believe you still do. And what's I, that like?
5: Well, um, it's true. Uh, I live with um, my wife and I live with our son, who is 42, and his wife, who's 40, and their 15 year old twins, our, our grandkids. And um, It's all on the same property, in two little separate houses now, although we lived in one house for much, much of the time. But, um, and my grandkids were born extremely premature, this sometimes happens with twins. Um, It's not a good thing when it does. Um, It's very challenging, and and they have had a lot of special needs as a result of their extreme prematurity, Um, extremely premature birth, I mean. Um, And... Um, dealing, it really takes several villages, honestly, the amount of work that's involved. And, and it's a really good thing that we're all there. There are four adults and, um, and, and there's, uh, we also have other people who help out who come through, um, who are wonderful. Um, and I'm getting the richness of, of being close to my grandkids and their friends and learning about how they're dealing with, or through how they're dealing with their special needs and um, limitations and, and uh, challenges. And um, it's both difficult and beautiful, but I get to share all this with my son and his, his wife, my daughter-in-law. I called her. I don't use the phrase daughter-in-law. <laughs> I use the phrase daughter-in-law um, because it's more accurate. And... Um, you know, we've grown very close together through through uh, dealing with the challenges of that situation together.
2: Well, I know that it's difficult in many ways, but it seems like such a rich life. It, it seems very real, and, and uh, I know that um, they say we don't get anything we can't handle, and uh, God must thank a lot of you. So in our last uh, <laughs> yeah. three minutes, did you ever think that eating plants and sparing animals would get to be as big as it is today? I know it's not big enough, but oh my gosh, it's so different from when we started out. That's How do so you see tr- the wonderful now?
5: I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed and I'm thrilled. And, of course, like you, it's not nearly big enough. And um, like you, I want to see it grow much, much, much more. But having been around for as long as I have doing this work, it is astounding to see all the changes that have been made. And it's heartwarming. And I think it helps strengthen me for the long haul, for the years yet of work to come.
2: And what do you think is different about the message today than it was 30 years ago? Does it need different packaging, different emphasis?
5: Well, I have ceased to use the word vegan very much. I use it sometimes when you say vegan-ish or, vegan-esque or <laughs> just or or plant-strong or plant-based or plant-powered. I mean, all these things kind of mean the same thing, but... But I, I use a variety of words. And the reason that I have been using the word vegan less is I, it, can, it can be divisive. You know, people think, oh, you are either are or you aren't a vegan. And uh, a lot of people are moving in a direction. They're eating less meat, less dairy products, less eggs. They're eating more healthy foods. They're, they're, ta- they're, they're on a path. And it's leading them in, in a healthier way. And I'm much more concerned... Uh, let me give you an example. Um, what do you think the odds are that in, in 15 years half of the people in the United States would be vegan? I think yes. that the, the odds are very low, possibly zero. They're very low. But what are the odds that in in 15 years half of the meals eaten in the United States would be mm. vegan? Very I good. think the odds on that what are else? very good. So, so I'm thinking more that way. And so, therefore, if people are vegan-ish, if they're moving in a plant-strong direction, if they're eating less of meat um, and, and less and less as they go along, I think that's terrific. Their health is going to improve. The environment is going to improve. And, of course, the more steps they take, the more improvement, more health, and more benefit they'll experience and will all experience. But in the meantime, I think the most effective way to support people in doing this isn't to judge them or make them or have them feel that they must sign a purity pact but instead to welcome the changes they do make appreciate them for who they are love them regardless and and see where that takes us
2: beautifully put give us a website where do we find you
5: foodrevolution.org
2: foodrevolution.org foodrevolution another amazing book. No healthy, no happy cows. Amazing books. So many amazing books. If you don't know John Robbins or didn't know him till today, oh, you have some wonderful hours of reading ahead of you. John, bless your heart. My love to your family. Thank and you,
5: Victoria. Uh, bless just, your work. Bless your heart.
2: Thank you so much. And to everybody listening, thank you. God bless you and eat your veggies.
1: Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth.
6: When your world goes topsy-turvy and turmoil threatens, try this exercise. Think about tranquility. Let the screen of your mind reflect whatever the word tranquility may bring. Perhaps you'll see a majestic snow-covered mountain peak, perhaps a clear still lake or a sparkling stream. Enjoy whatever image comes. It's your thought. Now let yourself find the place of complete stillness deep within you. Here you are poised, serene, and peaceful. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote, At the still point, there the dance is. The dance of life continually shifts its rhythm and form in its attempt to carry you beyond limited ideas of who you are. Enter into the still point of your being. There, regardless of what may surround you, you will find peace. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.